Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. I'm Sam Rosenberg, and you guessed it. I'm back here with Shaka. We got to talk about week two of the NFL season. Shaka, how you doing today? Well, my Jets still lost. Um, my fantasy teams are uh, one and one. One mm-hmm. win, one loss this week. So uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm maintaining here. Just to uh, expose the sheer obsessive depth of my fantasy football um, disease, so to speak, uh, I believe I have 11 fantasy teams right now. Oh my God. I can safely say in week one, I went eight and three, and in week two, I went one for 10. What? Did you, are you serious? I went one for 10. There's a lot of teams that lost this past week. Damn, dude. Hey, man, just another example of how it's hard to predict football. You really have no idea what the hell's going on. That's the truth. But we are going to attempt to try to talk about football and break this down. Shaka, the first thing I wanted to jump on is I wanted to talk about the Sunday night game Packers-Falcons. So the Falcons, I mean, this looked a little bit like a repeat of the NFC Championship game, you know, back in Atlanta, breaking in their new arena. But it was a real sense of, it felt like Atlanta was back. They were clicking on all cylinders, and the Packers' defense couldn't keep up. Give me some thoughts about what you had on that game. Well, I think people were worried that uh, the, the Falcons wouldn't be quite the same team without their offensive coordinator. Right, right. You know, they're trying to man the offense. <clears throat> and what we learned is they really are quite okay. They're so loaded with talent. I mean, just at every position that I don't know what anyone was worried about in the first place. They, they came in, and they pretty much pulled off, you know, this the routine Atlanta Falcons offense. I couldn't tell a difference, honestly, in terms of uh, play calling. Oh, so um, hang on one second. Sorry about that, Shaka. Keep going. You were talking about the Falcons offense. Well, like I said, the Falcons offense just it looks pretty much like routine par for the course. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really tell that the offensive coordinator was missing from the scene here. Well, and they've got so much talent. You've got two running backs that could both be starters in the league. You've got arguably the best wide receiver in the league. And you have a, a guy in Taylor Gabriel who can play, you know, he can line up in the slot. He can line up at running back. Uh, just so many options. And they just really gave the Packers as much as they could handle. Dude, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to see them start to kind of run those, you know, those kind of out routes, to, to see Mohamed Sanu come down with some huge catches, it really brought back, you know, because after last week, all we were talking about was how, you know, devastating this Packers defense was against the the Seahawks offense and how, you know, we were even talking, like, is this sort of a mirage? Like, is the Packers D this good or was it just the Seahawks being having such a bad offensive line? And that defense got exposed. I mean, the Falcons, you know, Tevin Coleman was running all over them. Uh, you know, the pass plays were there. I mean, it was another blowout because if I'm correct, I believe um, I believe the Falcons jumped up uh, 31-7 to and most of the scoring that Green Bay had was in the second half as they were trying to close the lead. But, um, I mean, it was still a bit of an exposure regarding Packers not having as solid a defense as I think we all thought after week one. And Atlanta looking just like they did last year. I mean, it, it really does feel like they haven't missed a beat. Yeah, I think what's key here, and you mentioned it, uh, with the Packers' defense is, you know, it's very possible they have improved. Mm-hmm. When it comes to teams that, playoff potential teams that they're going to have to face and slowing down these offenses, they're just quite not there yet. And, I mean, it's going to be a big hole that they need to fill if they really want to take this thing past 
you know, making the playoffs. And we can't ignore the the injuries here. You know, Mike Daniels was the star of this first week with the Packers. He goes down pretty early. Uh, yeah. Jordy Nelson goes down early in the game. Randall Cobb went down towards the latter portion of the game. And, you know, I mean, I think for the Packers, they're not worrying. They're a team that clearly gets hot probably in November and December, and they're going to be able to bounce back from this. You know, they're dealing with a few injuries on the offensive line. I think Brian Balaga is still out. I, I don't think Bakhtiari played in that game. I think that was part of, you know, how the Falcons were able to get pressure. You know, there was that kind of weird fumble where, you know, it was it, it, it was a backwards pass, but if you look at the replay, it looks like it was a forward pass. But either way, yeah. point is, the, the poor offensive line play of the Packers, you know, I think really kind of opened them up to getting a lot of pressure from the Atlanta pass rush. But I kind of think that's going to change as the season goes on and the offensive line gets a little healthier. So I'm not too worried, but I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the Falcons going, this is looking like the same offense that was burning down defenses last year. You know, one thing that's going to be a running theme, I think, this year, too, with a lot of teams is poor offensive line play. It's going to yeah. cost a lot of teams, uh, you know, the teams that have a lot of talent, like in terms of wide receivers, backs. I mean, the offensive line doesn't hold up, doesn't give you time to throw the football. Everything's irrelevant. So yeah. uh, a lot of teams are going to get exposed, I think, the first six weeks of uh, the season. You know, I really want to I want to harp on this offensive line discussion because you know, I don't think I'm alone when I listen to a lot of different pundits talk. I listen to a lot of different commentaries. And, you know, poor offensive line play is becoming a theme that I'm hearing again and again, and not just for specific teams, but across the board with most NFL teams. It feels like the norm is is kind of seeing an offensive line that doesn't have cohesion, that has new faces on the line. Um, they don't have any experience playing with each other. And then all of a sudden... You know, those few teams that have strong offensive linemen, that have some experience playing with one another, teams like Dallas. You know, teams like, you know, now the Oakland Raiders are kind of in that boat right now. Um, yeah. Even a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, or, or the Eagles for that matter. They've just had solid, maybe not Pro Bowl, but at least cal you know strong, legitimate veterans who are not just going to be on the street in a year or two playing on their offensive line and staying on their offensive line, you know, those teams are becoming few and far between. And what's happening is you nailed it, man. When the offensive line is bad, the whole offense seems to fall apart because I don't care how well you run that route or how much blocking you give for that guy. If, if they can't open the hole up or the running lane or they can't protect the quarterback long enough for him to let that route develop, it doesn't matter. Prime example uh, is last night's game, uh, New York Football Giants. Oh, my God. Please, very preach woeful. on, brother. Very, very woeful. I mean, when you think about – Sam, we've talked about this. When you think about just how good that team was last year and how much better on paper they are this year in terms of the talent that they went out and stocked up on. Brandon Marshall, I think, got five targets. He had one catch, I think, last night. Yeah. But just there was just no time. Eli looked like a deer in headlights most of the night. Yeah. And I mean, just I, the, the Detroit Lions don't really have a defense that I would say inspires terror. No. Uh, in particular. No. And I mean, they just looked, they looked dominant for most of the night and the Giants were almost unwatchable. And, you know, to echo that Lions, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not saying the Lions have a terrible defense They you know, they've got, they've got a solid defense. I wouldn't, you know, pick them out as a team that I would know to have a dominant defense in the NFL. But they've got a good defense. 
they were chewing up and spitting out Eric Flowers at left tackle for the Giants. Destroyed him. I mean, destroyed him. you know, so much so that Ben McAdoo had to come out and say that Eric Flowers still has his job. I don't really know if that's the best coaching decision considering <laughs> how he played last night. But, I mean, that offensive if if that's what your offensive line is going to continue doing, then you can expect this Giants team to continue to score zero touchdowns and maybe a field goal here or there because this isn't going to fly. And if one of those guys gets injured... I mean, I don't care how good how good or how much money you pay Odell Beckham, he ain't going to make up for poor offensive line play. It's a very, very long uh, desert to cross for Odell to be the guy who kind of keeps them in games. They need more than that. I just don't see it happening. I just offensive line play. So, yeah, this is uh, – I'm impressed of the Falcons. I'm glad that they're looking the way they were looking. It was – you know, I kind of would have felt bad if it was as fluky as it was last year and it was all just to do to Kyle Shanahan. But, you know, kudos to the team. You know, Tevin Coleman and Freeman, are they're, they're looking great. You know, as the run game slowed down in the fourth quarter, Coleman has fresh legs and he started burning the Packers. I'm not worried about either of these teams, but if anything, my expectations of the Falcons has gone up because I was sort of expecting them to regress a little bit because I almost thought what they did last year was impossible to replicate. But, you know, after Sunday night, man, they could do this again. This is, you know, it's, I, don't, I feel like it's not going to be a surprise if I see them drop 30 or 40 points in the next couple of weeks. Would you agree? Look, their division is certainly winnable when you think about who else is in that South division. Uh, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, uh, last year I thought they were like that, you know, that Cinderella story. They could do it. Um, they still had a solid defense. They brought in some more talent on offense. I think maybe by be Atlanta's only real competition uh, – I would say Carolina has a lot of kind of kinks to figure out. And yeah, they do. I'm not really sure what kind of team that is yet. So we're going to have to wait until we're maybe four or five games in to really kind of see what direction that's heading in. But right now, I think Atlanta is the clear-cut favorite right now yeah. in that division. And I wouldn't have said that. You know, I had I had some high hopes for Tampa Bay and Carolina. And it's not to say that I don't have high hopes for them, but Carolina has some clear flaws. You know, they've got to figure out how to integrate Christian McCaffrey, and they also need to figure out how to score because they're having trouble moving the ball. Their, their defense yeah. is there, but also one injury to Luke Keekley, and all of a sudden I feel like their defense is, will just fold like a cheap suit. Um, yeah, they, they got a lot of things to figure out. I mean, just cohesion, I think, is really the best word I can think of. Mm-hmm. But I, you'd think with Cam Newton, uh, there would be some, some questions to answer, but they lost Ted Ginn in the offseason, mm-hmm. who I think is kind of an unsung guy who every now and then kind of makes the chains move. So I, uh, I don't really know. I also bad offensive line. I think the Panthers suffer yes. from that as well. You know, they brought in Matt Khalil, who I thought was a shit stain of an offensive lineman. You know, when he was in Minnesota, but they brought him into Carolina to be the new O lineman. And I mean, again, still suffering from poor offensive line play. And you're right. I think uh, I think they have something like Cam Newton was like the most hit quarterback. I think last season or the season before that. Yeah, and that's not going to stop because, listen, yeah. his passing numbers are not going to go up. It's not like he's magically going to improve as a pocket passer, and he missed most of the preseason recovering from that shoulder injury. Ugh. Yeah, got, they've got some, they got some rough going. Uh, this is going to be – I don't want to say it's going to be a washed season, but um, uh, they need something. They need a, not a miracle per se, but they need, uh, they need some kind of uh, magic. And who knows, maybe Christian McCaffrey can give them something to that regard, but mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a lot for a rookie. Okay. Well, let's pivot a little bit. Let's go to the next topic I wanted to talk about was this Cowboys-Broncos game. This game has clearly started some drama because, okay, it's no secret. The Cowboys are 
the most popular team in the league. Whether you're a, fa- a Cowboys fan or not, they're the wealthiest team in the league. Okay, they're America's team. They usually dominate the ratings. They're usually on prime time. Anything that happens with the Dallas Cowboys is usually a story. So to see them get exposed by the Denver Broncos, blown out, shellacked, use whatever adjective or verb you want, they got dominated and they got embarrassed by this Broncos team on the road. It's true. And I was saying to you, I was saying to multiple other people before, I've been waiting been waiting for this game when the other shoe was going to drop and Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott were going to look mortal. And now listen, they lost to the Packers in the playoffs. I still don't really think they looked bad in that game. I think they just got beat by Aaron Rodgers' magic. This was the first time they looked like dog shit. Okay, you saw Ezekiel Elliott revolting because after Dak Prescott threw those interceptions, he noticeably didn't play defense on the other side of the ball. Um, They were pointing fingers at each other after the game, and they really didn't have much of an answer defensively for Trevor Simeon and C.J. Anderson. So I guess my question for you to start off, Shaka, is what what are you overreacting about regarding the Cowboys? Well, I think you definitely touched on it. Last season we looked at the Cowboys – they really didn't have a particular weakness that you could expose. They just looked good all around, you know, offense, defense. Mm-hmm. And even when they lost to the Packers, you couldn't really say, well, what was their biggest flaw and what's the you know weakness that you could expose? You look at it now, they go up against this Denver team. All right, let's get a couple things out there. Yes, they had a few injuries in the, in the, the defensive secondary position that mm-hmm. I think made Trevor Simeon look like a better quarterback than he actually is. Mm-hmm. But putting that aside, I would say uh, give as much credit as possible to that Denver defense. I yeah. mean, they, they really put a lot of pressure on a really good Dallas offensive line. Um, that 3-4 smooth, which I thought wouldn't be that, you know, that intimidating. I mean, they just absolutely dominated. They didn't they didn't knock uh, Dak Prescott around it so much but i mean they they rushed him they hurried him Mm -hmm. didn't give him that much time to throw and of course once the cowboys were out of the game score wise uh you know of course the running game is pretty much eliminated Mm -hmm. so zeke is not really a factor and prescott had to throw 50 times he's not a quarterback i see throwing 50 times nope in the game so of course at that point von miller is practically licking his chops out there so there were a couple things I think just in terms of execution and getting the wide receivers involved, that just did not work out for them too well. And I think we also saw a real recipe for beating the Cowboys. You know, it, yeah. they've they've become completely reliant on Ezekiel Elliott dominating the game on the ground, getting a, getting a lead, getting ahead early, and then, you know, managing the game throughout the rest of it with the run game and conservative, yet sometimes non-conservative passes from Dak Prescott. This was yeah. really one of the first times we saw them have to play from behind where they got behind early, their run game was completely ineffective, and their defense struggled to slow down the Broncos. And, you know, this is, it's a tiny thing. Well, not a tiny thing, but they were on the road, man. They're in Denver. Denver's not an easy place to play. This is an AFC-NFC matchup. These are two teams that don't know each other that well. They don't play very often. And there was a lightning delay for like an hour and a half in the first friggin' quarter of the game. You know, all of these little intangibles are going to play against the Cowboys. And... We, I, I started this entire discussion off by saying it. They hadn't been in this situation. They had not been playing behind before. They'd never really been in a spot where Dak Prescott had to kind of, you know, drag this team to victory and come from behind all by himself. And they really were ill-prepared to deal with it. And not only were they ill-prepared to deal with coming from behind, 
they were also pretty ill-prepared to deal with the PR fallout that came from this loss. Yeah, I mean, that to me was kind of the bizarre. It, it kind of showed just how flimsy you think that uh, facade is in uh, in Dallas. Yeah. You know, I think someone, I forgot who it was, came out and said that Tony Romo would have been a better quarterback to play in this game mm. than Zach Prescott. Where, I mean, look, that those days of speculation and wondering who's going to be the starting quarterback in Dallas are over. Prescott's a starter. Prescott did a great job last season. Yeah. And, I mean, you're allowed to have a bad game. It's yeah. going to happen. You know, so I think kind of this second guessing and, you know, no no pun intended, the Monday morning quarterback analysis of things is just, it's a little bit shitty. I, and I think it, it's not going to do anything in light of everything that's really going on with, uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott and, like, is he suspended? Is he not suspended? Yeah. I mean, just a, a lot of uh, question marks around his team. It just doesn't do anything to help with the uh, team chemistry to, to kind of second guess what's going on. Yeah, it loss did... is a loss. They should have just left it as this and moved on to the next game. Yeah, and if anything, this is really, you know, we're learning. This team hasn't really lost, you know? Yeah. Like, this team is so young. Like, listen, I know they got Jason Witten. I know they got the offensive line. But this is the NFL, and this is this is the media that we have in 2017. We want to hear from the quarterback, and we want to hear from the star players. The only people who are going to be on the podium is Jason Garrett, Des Bryant, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott. Those are the people we're going to hear from. The truth is, Prescott and Elliott, this is really the first time they've ever done this. I know they were rookies last year, but all they did last year was win. It was all sunshine and roses and rainbows, okay? They could do nothing wrong, and the only time they had to look dejected and come up to the press conference was after they lost to the Packers. They need to learn how to lose. They need to learn how to lose with class, suck it up and be like, both teams played hard, we just were focusing on next week and we got to bounce back. Like, you, you want to learn a thing or two about it, ask Tony Romo. He's done that press conference more than once. Yeah. Look, and I mean, at the end of the day, there were a couple things that Prescott could have done better. But you take it as it is. He's a second-year quarterback. Uh, those third-down conversions, they, they, I think, I, if I remember the numbers, I think it was 14 attempts. Mm-hmm. And they only converted on three. Yeah. Three out of 13, 14 third-down uh, attempts. It's just execution. It comes down to, at the end of the day, he's got to do better in execution. But, I mean, just leave it at what it is. He makes a couple of those third-down conversions, and you got a different game on your hands, I yeah. think. And that's something he will learn as you go along, you know, in the And, you know, he's been relying heavily on third-down conversions coming from play action. You know, yes. coming from Ezekiel Elliott's dominant run game, psyching out the defense. And this was a game where he couldn't rely on that. Yeah, and when the run game is a non-factor, no one's going to fall for a play action fake, you know, to, to Jason Witten when they're not really expecting you to run Zeke on third down. So, of course, it kind of takes one element out of the game altogether. Dude, I, I couldn't agree more. Um I'm not, to, you know, actually, before we get off of this, can we just say a couple of things about the Broncos' offense? Um, you know, listen, the, the Broncos' defense, this doesn't surprise me. I mean, this is the same defense that won the Super Bowl two years ago, and I, I still like what they are and what they do. And it also speaks to the fact that in this, in today's NFL, sometimes all you need is a solid defensive line and, and some good cornerbacks, and you can, you can always be in it. Um, right. But the thing that I thought was impressive was, you know, and now, again, is this because Dallas's defense is not very good? But Trevor Simeon throws four touchdown passes. C.J. Anderson runs all over the place. This was an offense I wasn't expecting a lot from, especially after seeing Simeon. You know, I didn't feel like he regressed last, but last year I was sort of like, all right, this is a this is this is a quarterback who has been thrust into the starting job, and he might be a little in over his head. 
Now it feels like they're clicking and it feels like I can see some real fantasy football type production out of this Denver Broncos offense. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you, is this a mirage or do you think that Simeon can kind of keep some of this up moving forward? Well, I think we need to remember that CJ Anson lost a lot of time last year to injury. Mm -hmm. And when he was healthy, I mean, he was probably one of the top five running backs in the league when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, you, uh, you saw him yesterday do exactly what he does best. He, he's a great tackle breaker. Um, he eats up a lot of clock time, which I think really helps to kind of keep keep Trevor Simeon, the, you know, balanced and measured. And I think one other thing that was kind of unsung is Emmanuel Sanders, who's always been a great wide receiver. Yeah. Really, uh, I mean, probably one of the most underrated, you know, number two guys in the league. I agree with really that. Really stepped up, really stepped up. And, I mean, he had some flashes of brilliance last season when Demarius Thomas didn't look amazing. And I think really maybe him and Simeon have kind of gotten uh, their their timing down. Maybe they've been doing some more reps in the off season, But I think we're looking at a serious problem, especially he, I mean, he exposed that Cowboys secondary a few times. And we said before they had a lot of injuries, but Sanders just ate him up yesterday. And it was yeah. a big, a big factor in them just blowing out the Cowboys. Yeah. I, um, I, I think you're right. I think you're onto something here with Sanders and Simeon. And I think that that connection is going to continue. Uh, it really does feel like Simeon is going to take a step forward this year and start to look more like a legitimate starter. And I mean, if that's the case, beware, because this Broncos team has got the defense to talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah, they're really, they're legit, legit problem. If everyone stays healthy on that team, knock on wood, they're a serious problem in that division. Now, speaking, let's stay in that division while I pivot. Let's stay in the AFC West. We're going to go to the Chiefs-Eagles game. Now, normally, we I like we've been doing, I take at the end of the podcast to talk about our Jets and our Eagles. Well, no offense to your Jets here, but the Eagles are actually a pretty exciting team right now, and... Um, I actually thought one of the be- one of the better games to talk about would be this Eagles Chiefs game. It was very exciting. That's um, a very good game. Great game. Uh, Chiefs win. Um, you know, I thought it was. Listen, I was hoping the Eagles would pull out the victory. It didn't happen, but it was an extremely competitive game. Very defensively driven. Uh, I mean, the cl- the score was very close and very tight, really, until the fourth quarter. When that's when you know the defenses ran out of gas, and all of a sudden Kareem Hunt started running all over the place. Um, but I mean, until then. I was excited about this Eagles this Eagles team. Defensively, they're still better than the offense. I mean, they're still dominating. They're still getting pressure. They were they were stopping the run game. They were getting pressure on Alex Smith. They were preventing any pass plays. I mean, Kansas City had trouble moving the ball. Yeah. The positive thing from the offensive side is that Carson Wentz is starting to look really good. Like last year, he looked a little bit like there were some positive moments, there were some negative moments. Okay. The pass game for the Eagles was way better than the run game. The run game was virtually non-existent. I mean, they tried to get it going. I mean, Blunt didn't even have any touches. They pretty much stuck with Darren Sproles for the majority of the game. But whenever they went to the ground, they couldn't move the ball. But then when they wanted to move the ball, Carson Wentz started throwing it. And I'm telling you, man, it got to that point where... Okay, Shaka, you know that feeling when you've seen like a young quarterback or like a first-year or second-year quarterback and you're sort of like... I don't know if this is going to be an atrocious interception or one of the greatest pass plays I've ever seen. (laughs) Halfway through the game, when Wentz would step back to throw, I started to have real confidence that it was going to be a great pass play or it was going to go out of bounds. It wasn't going to be some terrible turnover. And I got really excited because I started to be like, wow, this passing game is starting to be really dangerous. But 
inevitably, you know, experience won out. The Chiefs kind of turned, you know, turned up the heat in the fourth quarter in the second half. They got a couple of huge plays against uh, the Eagles defense. Um, and then, you know, Carson Wentz did throw an interception later in the game. And I mean, that kind of decided all of it at that point. But I want some of your thoughts on this Eagles team. And I mean, listen, tell me what you think about the Chiefs. I mean, I think the Chiefs are a bit of a known commodity right now. We know they're a powerhouse. But what do you think about this Eagles team, and what did you think you learned about them from this game? Well, I'd say this. Uh, Carson Wentz, he took he took what the defense gave him, and he made the most out of it. He even had, uh, I think he was the team's leading rusher, too, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. That's he correct. He led the team in rushing yards as well. A couple, so couple of big conversions with his legs. He really put the team on his back, and, you know, against, a, and let's face it, a really fucking good Kansas City team. Amen. He almost pulled it out. They almost pulled it out. That onside kick towards the end of the game, even I, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is really like they're really giving them everything they can handle here." Mm-hmm. After this team, let's not forget, just drubbed the New England Patriots. Yeah. So um, I, I would say I would it, going forward, the only thing because the only thing I ever look at when I see Carson Wentz, and I'm saying just the difference between a good quarterback and an, a Pro Bowl quarterback mm-hmm. is every now and then he'll tend to let the ball sail a little bit mm. so i think his timing with his receivers just needs a little bit of fine tuning but i think that's something that comes with time and you just have to remember he also has tory smith who's a new receiver on the team he's got alshon jeffrey who's a new receiver on the team Aguilar he still has from last season who they seem to kind of have a rapport i want to see them give Aguilar a little bit more of an opportunity because i think he can kind of be that sneaky third guy who you don't expect mm-hmm. to kind of eat up a lot of yards. But um, look, there's a lot of promise. That Eagles defense really gave Alex Smith a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're really good, man. I, and I, it's very promising. They, they gave a, a potential Super Bowl team as much as they can handle and, you know, just barely lost this one. Yeah. And now, listen, I, I, I do want to be honest about the, the Eagles. They have flaws. I still think their secondary is is an issue because as as destructive as their front seven is, they still gave up some pass plays in the secondary. They're still, you know, Rodney McLeod uh, starting safety opposite Malcolm Jenkins. He left the game. I mean, they're very, very quietly for as good a defense as they are very quietly. This secondary is getting hurt. It was already thin to begin the season. And I think it's going Darby's to be... Hurt. Darby's out too, isn't he? Darby's Darby, injured? Darby's going to be out. He dislocated his ankle week one. He's going to be out at least a month and a half. We're probably not going to see him till mid-October or late or early November. Um, so you're already starting to see... Like, Rasul Douglas was in the game. Dexter McDougal came in the game. I mean, it's a real... Ugh, like, it's, it's getting dicey because I think when they get to a team that can really air the ball out, they're going to be in trouble. But they might, you know... I'm, I think they'll be fine playing the New York Giants this coming week. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not fearful of Eli Manning burning down the Eagles' secondary. Um, but those are the things that I'm a little worried about. And then I also, you know, just to one last uh, note on this game, this was a close game. And you really hit the nail on the head. And, I mean, we're forgetting the fact that, you know, we turned over a, a muffed punt return earlier in the game uh we you know Darren Sproles you know fumbled the ball late in the game there was a missed field goal to close out the half you know I mean all these tiny things that could have gone the way of the Eagles that could have turned the game but just but just didn't and you know I mean on a positive Alshon Jeffrey like listen he came into form man he was catching balls like all the yeah, things that up. should be working are working they're just not there yet and they'll get there 
they'll get there. Um, let's talk about your Jets. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I mean, um, they, they did lose I, to the Raiders. It was a bit of a showcase for the Raiders, but give me some of your thoughts on what you saw, because, I, I mean, I saw a couple of positives. Well, looking at it this way, uh, it was actually a football game going into halftime. The Jets, yeah. Jets held in there. They they, they really kind of, they fought. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. I mean, you got a team that's much improved with Marshawn Lynch, um, and they really kind of contained what I always thought of as a very explosive Oakland offense. Mm-hmm. And, of course, third quarter, halfway through the third quarter, the floodgates had at that point opened. You know, they gotten burned in a couple big plays. And I, I think uh, I, I think Oakland finally figured out their number. Mm-hmm. And Marshawn Lynch ripped off a couple of big runs and a couple of big plays and just really, really laid into them. I, look, and the other thing is the Jets just don't have the kind of firepower to match up with a team like no. that. No, they where, don't. You know, you, number one, trying to get uh, a, a quarterback to get in the pocket and to get enough times that a Khalil Mack will come and absolutely demolish you's uh, a challenge enough. When Jermaine Curse is your biggest threat. Yeah. I mean, a guy who could barely get reps in Seattle, it's, it, it doesn't bode well for your ability to come back or to stay in a game with a fighting chance. So, I mean, look, they gave it as much as they could until halftime and then after that you know it just it was it was clear cut the the difference in talent and you listen to the guys after the game and they talked about how disheartened they were you know trying to fight and mm-hmm. just realizing that well one Marshawn Lynch was dancing in the oh end of the God. third quarter oh on the sidelines and it was demoralizing but they you know they were demoralized because they they wanted to win they wanted to be in it and you know just realizing that they just couldn't come through it at least lets me know that the team is trying to win. It's yeah. not so much that everyone's defeated and you know beaten down already in the season, but it's going to be a long road right now, and they're only two games into the season. I mean, I commend them because you're right. That was, you know, I think we're expecting a bit of a schlocky, shitty Cleveland Browns one in fifteen team from last year, but I don't really think the Jets are that. I do think that there's some talent on that squad. I think that the defense is actually better than I than people give them credit for. And, you know, you're right. Jermaine Curse couldn't even get reps in Seattle. But, I mean, at least he's a legitimate wide receiver. I mean, I'm not uh, trying to insult Robbie Anderson and Sharon Peake and all these other guys. But, I mean, Curse is, like, out there catching balls, making plays. Like, yeah. he's like, yo, I wasn't – I did win a Super Bowl in Seattle, and I do know how to make clutch catches. And it's kind of like – you know, it's that moment where I don't care how high someone is drafted, if they've got a proven track record of being able to catch the ball in clutch situations like Curse can and has done, I mean, he's one of the few people that out there is doing anything. I mean, he had two touchdowns against the Raiders. I mean, I picked him up on about three of my fantasy teams because right now... He's that's about, about the best option they've got. That's right. He's about the only skill position player that's producing. And, um, you know, for a team that, like you said, is not rolling over, that is clearly passionate and that clearly wants to win because whether the team's bad or not, those guys are earning game checks and they want to be in the league next year. So they're playing their hearts out. Um, you know, I'm, I felt optimistic. And listen, I don't think that the Jets are going to beat the Dolphins this coming weekend, but the Dolphins are a team that they could get underneath the skin of. And the Dolphins are a team that they could steal a game from. That I see happening. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I, look, Josh McCown is... Not a bad quarterback in any sense, I would say. He's actually, he's passable. He's a solid quarterback. Um, he makes smart decisions. And I, I think they've got a chance. The Oakland, I would say Oakland's defense is slightly better than the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they're probably going to have a little bit more of a fighting chance. With, uh, but, I mean, they're really just going to have to try and stop the run when you got a Jay Ajayi uh, in the backfield for, mm-hmm. for, the, for the Dolphins. And uh, they've got they've got some talent at the wide receiver position, Jarvis Landry. Um, but I, I think, uh, I can't remember actually if it's a home game or not. I, 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 I believe I it's in New York. I believe it's a home game. But I, I mean, look, every every game going forward, man, it's just the hope that they 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 at least come in and try to put up a fight. Yeah. Pop quiz: Who do you like, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh McCown as your starter? Um, man, I I'd have to say McCown right now just because he's he's been pretty efficient, and I use that word loosely. <laughs> <laughs> this is very loosely. Um, it's a very loose his, efficiency. His, his, his first two games, look his 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 passer rating is pretty is pretty solid, um, and he's not making the mistakes which Patrick did. Okay, right. so I'll, I'll take it. I'll take that. I'll uh, and that's uh, dude. That's about all we got. Um, let's wrap it up, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to Sam Sports Podcast, and of course, love having Shaka on board as always. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at Smith Face Jones. And of course, email Shaka and I mailbag questions at samsportsstation at gmail.com. But in the meantime, get yourself ready. Put your waiver claims in for this week of fantasy football. Gather your senses for this nice schlocky Thursday night game between the Rams and the 49ers. And then... Get ready for some fun marquee matchups this Sunday. I think that's what everybody's really gearing themselves up for. So, in the meantime, get your football in, and uh, we'll be preparing for more recaps next week. But uh, we Audi 5000. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.